Thanks for tuning in to Dream City Omaha, where we're all about helping each other discover Christ, recover identity, and uncover purpose. We hope this message impacts your life, and be sure to like and subscribe for more. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Good, good, good. It's good to see you. It's good to be back with you. For, for some of you, it doesn't feel like I've been gone for a long time. For me, it feels like I've been gone for the last two months. Uh, last week, we weren't here. Uh, Pastor Josh Dosler from, uh, from Abide, he's the CEO of Abide, a good friend of mine, preached here. And, and didn't he do a great job? I got so many, so many text messages and, and, and emails, messages just saying that, that he did a great job and, uh, and thanking me as if I did anything, thanking me for having him come and speak. And so, uh, so thankful for, for Josh and for relationships that we have in this city as well. Angel needs a chauffeur because she's lived in Omaha her whole life and still doesn't know which way north is. Numbers, names, doesn't make a difference. Do I turn left or right at Walmart? Like that's how anybody else... Go to Chick-fil-A and turn right. If you give directions to Angel, make sure there are landmarks involved and not directions. She needs landmarks for that. She got Jace a little chauffeur's hat. No, I'm just kidding. She didn't, she didn't do that. But it's good to be back with you. We were on vacation uh, over the last week and a half and, and spent some time in Colorado as a family. And then, like Angel said, went camping with, uh, with my family and, uh, and had a great time doing that. Camping is fun. Camping is a lot of work. Camping, like once you come home from camping, feels like you need like three days to reacclimate to to society and to life from camping. And uh, and I love camping. I love the, the smell of the campfire while you're at the campfire. But then the smell of the campfire for the next three days that hangs around everything that you've touched is just like the worst smell in the world. But nevertheless, it's good to be back with you. Today, we're going to get into God's Word. We're going to start a new series entitled Refinance. Refinance. And, and over the last several months this year, we've been talking about rewords, how that, that this year is a re-year. Re means to come back to or to do something again. We've talked about refocus. We've talked about reconnect. We've talked about reintegrate because I think one of the things we saw in 2020 is those things that we said were important to us when push came to shove, those were some of the things that fell by the wayside and, and things that we've neglected and forgotten. And this is a year for us to come back to some of those things. And so as we look at refinance, no, I'm not going to give you all the, the tips and, and tell you to go take out a, another loan on your mortgage because you're going to get a better interest rate. Like that's not what this is about, but it's about coming back to God's word when it comes to our finances. God, what does your word have to say about money, about my handling of money, about what I do with my possessions and, and that which you've blessed me with? 11 of the 39 parables that Jesus shared in the New Testament have to deal with money or material possessions. Almost a third of the stories with, with kingdom principles tied in that Jesus shared were about money or resources that we've been entrusted from the Father and how to be good stewards of that. And if Jesus talked about it, I think it's time for us as a church to really come back to what Jesus has to say about money. And it's one of those difficult topics. Listen, I understand and, and first service was a great indicator of that, that today you're not gonna be shouting amen. Over the next few weeks, I understand that I'm just going to have to accept 
the fact that you're not going to be amening me and that's good pastor and, and go ahead preach. Why? Because when it comes to money, it's one of those, one of those topics that a lot of churches will refrain from speaking about because we're afraid of stepping on toes. And if you really want to step on toes, you can either talk about politics or money. Right, like tap dance all over everyone's nerves. Just, just talk about money because the the church has this this perspective or this this connotation with it that the church is is always just after my money. Listen, I'm not after your money. I don't care about your money. I really don't care what you do with your money. Jesus doesn't care about your money. God doesn't need your money. This isn't a fundraising attempt to get more people to start giving because we need money. That, that's not what this is about. Well, what, why are we talking about it then, Pastor? Because Angel said earlier, everything we do is about helping you live the abundant life that Christ has paid for you to have. To find freedom from sin, freedom from past, freedom from unforgiveness and bitterness, freedom from, from those hurts, freedom from wounds, freedom from all of these things. Did you also know that there is financial freedom to be had? There's also financial freedom to be found, but many of us walk around rather than being free financially, we're enslaved financially. We don't understand what that looks like. And so as we re, as we come back to God's word, as it relates to our finances, I believe that there are keys to, to a path of financial freedom that is available to each and every one of us. We're going to be looking at money for the next few weeks. I would encourage you, don't check out. Don't like, well, we're, we're going to skip and we're going to go on vacation and school starting. So we need a couple of weeks for that. And then as soon as this refinance series is over, then we'll be back. No, I, I just stick with it. Yeah. Open your heart up and say, God, if there's anything that you want to reveal to me, God, I give you permission and I'm willing to receive that. Today, I want us to, to look first at what does it mean and, and how do we have a healthy relationship with money? I think today what I, what I want to happen, I think what God wants to do through this service is to lay some, some foundational elements for where we're going over the next few weeks. Today's not going to be a, a lot of how-tos. Today's not going to be a lot of like, like rapid application, do this, do this, do this. But I think it's important for us to lay key foundational elements concepts so that as we begin to build on that, we're building from the same place, but we'll also have a firm foundation on which to build. But I want us to look at how to have a healthy relationship with money. Some of you are like, well, I don't have a relationship with money. That sounds weird. No, you do, whether you are aware of it or not. To be in a relationship means to have an emotional connection and association with someone or something. Okay, then I do have a relationship with money because there is definitely an emotional connection to it, how do I have a healthy relationship with money? Because just like how in personal relationships, they can be unhealthy, they can be toxic. You can have a unhealthy, toxic relationship with money as well. Personal relationships, there can be a lack of trust. There can be, you know, people can be controlling or, or manipulative or abusive, but your relationship with money is no different. Yeah. It can have control over you. It can be manipulative or you can, you can manipulate to try and get more of it. You can be abusive or it can be abusive to you. They're, they're the, the same things that we deal with in our interpersonal relationships, we can also find ourselves dealing with in our relationship with 
money. And so I want us today to look at how to have a healthy relationship with money. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I can choose to build my life and you can choose to build your life upon what, what you can produce or upon what God can produce. You have access right now to either your resources or to the resources of heaven. And I don't know about you, but I would rather have access to the resources of heaven than my measly resources here and now. I, I told this story a few years ago, Carter, who's our third son, uh, he, he, he got us in this situation one day where, where Angel was in New York. She was at a conference and she was trying to buy a, a sandwich at a deli or something. And she, she called me and she said, John, my, my card got declined. I tried again, got declined. And can you, can you just call the bank? I'm in, I'm in New York and I have no cash. And can you call the bank and figure out what's going on? So I'm like, yes. Yeah. So I called the bank. I'm like, hey, my wife's in New York. Like, it wasn't a fraudulent. They're like, no, your, your account has been temporarily frozen. It's like, okay, well, that would have been nice to know. But why was my account temporarily frozen? They said, well, there were three charges uh, to the iTunes store for, for $99 each. So there's 300 charges for, for the iTunes store. And, and at the fourth attempt, we decided... We, we should probably just, just freeze this right now. It's like, okay, well, thank you for doing that. After the first one would have been nice, but nevertheless. <laughs> and so I said, can you tell like where it came from? They said, no, just iTunes store. And it was this email address. And so I went to the kids. I went first to Jace, who was our oldest, and, and said, Jace, did you buy anything from the Apple store? No, I didn't do anything. Isaiah, did you buy anything from the Apple store? No, dad, I didn't do anything. Carter, did you buy anything from the Apple store? He's like, no, I didn't buy anything, but I did find these new chests in this game. And I said, what game? And so he pulled up this app on, on the device that he has these games loaded on. He pulled up this, this game. He's like, look, and, and I got access to this treasure chest and this treasure chest gave me 20 million coins. And with the coins, I was able to upgrade my character and to upgrade my armor. And now my army is like the strongest army and nobody can defeat me. And I am going to rule the, <laughs> I'm going to rule the galaxy, dad. And it's going to be incredible. And it's going to be awesome. And I was like, that sounds really cool, son. Why don't you show me these treasure chests that you found? He's like, well, it's really easy. All you have to do is push this button and this button, and here's this treasure chest with 20 million coins in it. And right below that treasure chest, it said 99.99. And he had gone into the in-app purchases and purchased three packages of 20 million coins until finally the bank said, enough is enough. But here's the thing, Carter was able to do that. Why? Because he had access to my resources. There were treasure chests that he unlocked because he wasn't, he wasn't accessing the resources that he had. He was accessing the resources of his father. And you and I can unlock treasures that we can produce or we can unlock treasures that only our heavenly father can produce. And I don't know about you, but those are the treasures that I want. So this morning, as we look at how to have a healthy relationship, Matthew chapter six is where we're going to start. First Timothy chapter six is where we'll finish if you want to turn ahead over there as well. But Matthew chapter six, beginning in verse 19, if you don't have your Bibles, the verses will be on the screens for you. It says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. 
Your eye is the lamp that provides light for your body. And when your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light that you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Now that verse right there, you could unpack that for weeks. If you are so deep in darkness that you begin to think that the darkness is actually light, that's a dangerous place to be, but that's not our message today. Verse 24, for no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Lord, today as we examine your word, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray, God, that you would, you would make us that good soil. God, any, any part of us that needs to be tilled up, that needs to be broken up so that we can receive your word today, God, we, we allow you, Holy Spirit, to even right now to begin to do that. Those hard parts of our hearts, those, those places that we've, we've refused to give you access to, Lord, I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would begin to break that up, that as your word goes forth, it would fall on good soil, that it would produce fruit in our lives, eternal fruit, fruit that remains. God, as we seek to refinance, to come back to your word, to gain access to the treasures of heaven and the resources of our Father, we thank you that your word is true, that your promises are yes and amen, and God, everything that you said you would do, you will do. So we stand and we build our lives upon your word today. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. This morning, as we, we look at how to have a, a healthy relationship with money, there are, are three key principles that I, I want to share with you. If you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write these down. If you're taking notes, if you're not taking notes, I would still encourage you to write these down because you should be taking notes. But the first one is this if we're going to have a healthy relationship with money, we must master our money and not let it master us. You have to be the boss of your money, not the other way around. I think we've, we've gotten these, these relationships so backwards where we are supposed to be the boss of our money, where as parents, we are supposed to be the boss of our children, but instead our money is telling us what to do and our kids are telling us when to do it. <laughs> we've gotten, we've, we've mismanaged our relationships to the point where we are not the bosses of our money. We went camping and, and, and just watching my little niece, my sister's daughter, was like jumping into the DeLorean and going back with, with Marty McFly to my childhood and looking at my sister because the same looks, the same facial expressions, the same attitude, the same everything. It was like I was having flashbacks and was sitting in the corner like, stop yelling at me. But one of the things growing up that my sister would always say is, you're not the boss of me. Has anybody ever heard that? Anybody ever tell you that? You tell them something to, to, to do this or to do that, and she would just look at me. You're not the boss of me. Mom's the boss of me. Like, well, I'm the oldest, and right now mom isn't here. Therefore, ergo, I am the boss of you. Shut up and do it. No, I'm just kidding. But she said, she said, you're not the boss of me. And I think a lot of us have that type of relationship with our money where we try and tell it what to do, but our money just looks at us in the face and says, you're not the boss of me. I'm the boss of you. See, your money was never meant to be your master. You were meant to be it. 
but we have gotten it so backwards. We are enslaved to our money. But look at what Jesus says in verse 24 of Matthew 6, Matthew chapter 6. No one can serve two masters. You'll hate one, love the other, devoted to one, despise the other. This last verse, this last sentence here in this verse is, it's heavy and I've read it time and time again and hundreds of times before. But when I, when I read it, it says, you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Why is it so important for us to have a healthy relationship with money? Because if you don't, you cannot truly and fully serve God. You and I, we cannot serve God. How many of you want to serve God? All of us. Those of you watching online, how many, all of us. We all, because we're here today, I would venture to say are at a place in our lives where we want to serve God and we're growing in that or maybe we're taking steps to that. We want to serve God with everything, but Jesus says you can't do that if you are still enslaved to money. That's why it's so important for us to understand what financial freedom Looks like, because financial slavery has nothing to do with whether or not there's a comma in your bank account. It has nothing to do with, with how much money you have. It has nothing to do with how little money you have. It has nothing to do with your resources or your materialistic possessions. It has nothing to do with what's going on on the outside, but financial slavery has everything to do with what's going on in here. It's never been a resource issue, but it has always been a heart issue. Financial freedom starts right here. Financial freedom doesn't come one day when you get that raise. Financial freedom doesn't come one day when you get that promotion, one day when, one day if. No, we can't treat our freedom looking into the future and well, well, one day when. No, financial freedom can start today, but it starts right here. It doesn't matter where you are doesn't matter where you're starting from. It deals and it starts with your heart. How do I know if, if money is my master? Here's some questions for you to ask. Does thinking or talking about money stress you out? If you can answer yes to that, then you might have an unhealthy relationship with money. Does thinking or talking about it stress you out. Well, everybody's stressed about money. You're right. In a recent survey, 70% of Americans said at least once in the last month, they have been stressed about their financial situation. They have actively been stressed about money. The APA every year does a study on stress in America, and the perennial favorite every year is always money. The number one cause of stress for Americans historically has always been money. Now, in the last couple of years, COVID has overtaken it and the political strife has overtaken it. So right now it sits at a, at a number three. But even at number three, 70% of us are saying that at least once a month we're stressed about it. Does it stress you out? If yes, you might have an unhealthy relationship. Do you tell your money what to do or does it tell you what to do? You might have an unhealthy relationship. Dave Ramsey says to give every job a dollar, to know where it's going and to know what it's doing. At the end of every month, do you look at your bank account and say, well, I know we got paid twice, but I don't know what happened to it. Have you ever been there? We've all been there. 
What, what, what happened to it? Where did it? Where did it all go? I could have sworn that a couple of weeks ago there was money in there, but now it's all gone and I have no idea why. Because we don't budget, because we don't tell our money what to do. We let our money tell us what to do. You spend money before you have it. Cash advance. I get paid Friday, but I can't wait till Friday. I need it today. You spend money that, that you don't even have. Not, not that you don't have it yet, but you don't even have it. Credit cards. As I was preparing for this, the, the consumer debt for Americans is at $15 trillion. Trillion with a T. As Americans, we are in debt. Not, not as a nation. We understand that as a nation, we are way in debt as well. But as Americans, we are in debt $15 trillion. Now, yes, about two-thirds of that, about $10 million of that is, is mortgage and home loans. But even if you take that away, so that leaves cars, that leaves credit cards, that leaves student loans, that's $5 trillion worth of debt as Americans as well. The average American has 2.8 credit cards. We are spending money that we don't have and we're not sure that we will ever have. Why? Because we want something that we don't need to impress people that we don't even like. Just because my neighbor got one, then I have to get one. And they got a 70-inch TV, and I need a 75-inch TV. And they got a 12-foot boat, and I need a 14-foot boat. And the housing market is going insane, but I need a bigger house. Why? Why, why? why do we need these things? We don't need these things. We've confused our wants with needs, and we've put ourselves in a, in a financial situation where we have handcuffed ourselves. It's not that somebody else has done it. You've done it to yourself. Why? Because we have an unhealthy relationship with money. Several weeks ago, me and Jace, who's my oldest, who's Angel Chauffeur, I'm just going to start referring to him as Angel Chauffeur. A couple of weeks ago, me and Angel Chauffeur, we went to Buffalo Wild Wings to watch the UFC fights. And so I, I parked the car and I get out and, and was going to go inside to get a table. And he says, okay, I'll be in there in a second. So I'm like, okay. So I left the van and, and went inside, put our name in. I'm standing there, 15 minutes goes by, he's not in yet. He's probably outside texting his girlfriend, like whatever, let him have his time. I don't know, it's not all. <laughs> so outside on his phone, whatever. I'll go out and get him in a little bit. 20 minutes goes by, the fights are now starting on the TVs. And so I'm like, this kid's like, so I went out to, to get him, like, hey, why aren't you coming in? When fights are starting, you might as well just, you know, come in and watch them. He's like, okay, I'll be in a second. Like, are you coming? He's like, yeah, I'm coming. Okay, I'll see you in there. So I go inside, still waiting for our table. Ten minutes later, he's not in. Finally, he comes inside, and he walks into the restaurant, and he sits down next to me. And I said, Jay, like, you've been outside for like 35 minutes. Like, where did you go? What happened? And he goes, he, he held his hands up like this, and there were, there were lines on his wrists. I said, what did you do? He said, well, remember those zip ties that were in the cup holder? I said, yeah. Said, well, I took a couple of those zip ties, and I zip tied my hands together. I said, son, why would you? Corey was there. <laughs> True story. I said, son, why would, you, why would you zip tie your hands together? He goes, because I've always wanted to do the Navy SEAL thing where you just like, <laughs> you're like, 
I saw it in the movies where if your hands are zip tied together, like the Navy SEAL trick is to just like slam it against your chest and the zip ties are supposed to break. I said, did they break? He said, no, they didn't break. I said, so you've been sitting outside for the last 30 minutes trying to figure out how to get out of these zip ties. Yeah. I said, so what did you do? He says, well, I started going through mom's car and there was a little baby pair of scissors, like the little, the little scissors. He says, so I was trying to like, and I said, well, why didn't you just get out and have one of those guys outside? And he's like, dad, he's like, you want me to walk up to strangers outside? Like, hey dude, can you do me a solid and cut these? <laughs> he's like, dad, I'm not going to do that. I was like, but you finally got him off. He's like, yes, I finally, I finally got him off. But listen, when I think about that, I wonder how many of us do that to ourselves financially? We're, 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 we're paralyzed. We can't go anywhere. We can't do anything. And we refuse to ask for help. There's people all around that could help us. Hey, can you help me get a handle on this? We refuse. Why? Because we're ashamed that we put ourselves in this position in the first place. I'm not going to go ask somebody because if I ask for, somebody, so for some help, I have to let them know where I'm at. And if I let them know where I'm at, they might think, are you following me? When we have unhealthy relationship with money, that's what it looks like. We've handcuffed ourselves. Does your money create problems or does it solve them? You might have an unhealthy relationship with money. So number one, we have to, we have to be the bosses. <laughs> we have to be the boss of our money. We can't let it master us. The second thing that we have to understand is we need to get rid of the love of money. Remove the love of money from your heart. Remove it from your life. First Timothy chapter six, Paul is, is writing to this young pastor, Timothy, and he says, people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. One of the most misquoted verses in, in scripture for the love of money. Money is not the root of all evil. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is what Paul says, is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have even wandered from faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Why? Because of the love of money. I want more. I need more. I got to have more. The love of money is, is really, in, in, in essence, a greedy heart. It's greed. Greed is me-focused. Greed is self-focused. Greed is not about other people. Greed is not about, let me, let me get more so I can give more. Greed is not, let me be a blessing so I can, so, let me be blessed so I can be a blessing. Greed is, is, let me be blessed so that I can be blessed. Greed is, let me accumulate so that I can accumulate. That's what the love of money looks like. The love of money will tell us that we don't have enough. But Paul, in his letter to Timothy in verse six, look at what Paul says. He says, he says, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. The love of money will always tell you you need more. The love of money will always tell you you don't have enough. But godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Godly people who are content people always feel blessed regardless of what's going on. Have you ever been around somebody that like, they're not well off, they don't have the, the nicest car or the biggest house or this or that, 
looking from the outside, we wouldn't necessarily say that they're blessed, but you get around them and all they can talk about are the blessings of God. How is that? It's because they're godly and they're content. When you're content with what you have, you recognize that my blessings aren't the things around me, but the blessings are the things God's done in me. That's how you can wake up every morning and say, God, thank you for your blessings. And and even if it's just the breath in my lungs today, God, that is a blessing. Even if it's just the the roof that kept the rain off of me last night, God, thank you for your blessing. God, God, thank you that I have a car that I have to repair. The fact that we're here today, we are the the top 1% of people in the world. Those of you watching online, the fact that you have a device to even watch it on, you are the top 1% of the wealthiest people in the world. And we want to come in week after week saying, I need more. I don't have enough. God bless me more because you haven't blessed me enough. Godliness with contentment will always leave you feeling blessed, but godliness with discontent will leave you feeling like you don't have enough. Which are you? Because if you don't feel like you have enough, you might just have a love of money that needs to be checked. It will tell you that you don't have enough. Verse seven, let's look at what Paul says in verse seven. He continues, he says, after all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. You're trying to accumulate for yourself and yet, you're not even going to be able to take it with you. That's greed. That's the love of money. It's one thing to say, God, bless me so that I can have ridiculous generosity and be a blessing to so many people. And there are people like that. There are people with a spiritual gift of giving that just everything that comes in turns around and goes right back out. That's different. These are people that say, God, bless me so that I can have. Bless me so that people can look at me. Bless me so that people can see how, how good I am or how blessed I am or how much I have. But he says, we can't take anything away with it. It's the people who live lives like this. Whatever you give me, I'm hoarding and keeping, me, keeping for myself. Listen, anything that you're not willing to give away has become an idol in your heart. Say it again. Anything that that you are not willing to give away has become an idol in your heart. If God came to you and said, hey, give that away. Hey, give that car. Hey, give that house. Hey, give. Hey, start tithing. Anything you're not willing to give has become an idol in your heart. Whether it's material resources or an unhealthy relationship or friendship that that you know is leading you down a path that you don't want to go. And God is saying, listen, you need to get get rid of that relationship. Otherwise, it's going to take you places you don't want to go. If you're unwilling to give that up, it has become an idol in your heart. How do I get rid of a love of money? Look at what Paul Paul says in, in verse 11. He says, but you, Timothy, are a man of God. So run from these evil things, pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. How do, I, how do I not allow greed to take over? How do I not allow the love of money to take over in my heart? Pursue righteousness more than you pursue money. Do we do that? Can you say that you pursue the things of God as much or more than you pursue the things of the world? Do I have to go back to work because I have to make more money? I have to get a second job because I need more money. I need more this, I need more that. 
Do you pursue the gifts of the Spirit the same way that you pursue material resources? Well, if I had this job, then it would bring in this cash flow. And if I had that cash flow, then I could do this. If I had this spiritual gift, then I could serve the body this way. So Holy Spirit, gift me, give, give me all the gifts that you can. Whatever it is that you want, to, do we pursue the gifts of the Spirit and the things of God the same way we pursue the gifts of the world or the things that the world has to offer? If not, there might be a little love of money in our hearts that needs to be removed. And then the third thing, we can't let money master us. We have to be its master. We have to get rid of the love of money. And we have to understand that money is a tool. Money is a tool. Verse 17, Paul says, to teach those who are rich in this world. Again, who's the 1%? Who are those that are rich in this world? Okay, this is for you. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. Use their money to do good. Why? Because your money is a tool. Your resources are a tool. Money is amoral. It's neither good nor bad. It's neither right nor wrong. It's what you do with it that determines that. It's the same as this hammer. This hammer is amoral. This hammer is an inanimate object, but depending on how I animate it, it can either be used for good or it can be used for bad. How many of you ever worked construction? I feel your pain. We've been there. As construction workers, there are, are tool belts that we wear and depending on, on which trade you're involved in, you will carry certain tools with you everywhere you go on every job site, typically a hammer and some nails and a tape measure, depending on what you have going on, a, a speed square. Some of you are like a speed what? No, we're not doing drugs, it's a square. Okay, anyway. So you have certain tools with you. My favorite tool is always a hammer it made me feel powerful. So many things that you can do with a hammer. And, and with a hammer, I put roofs on. And with the exact same hammer, I took roofs off. Yeah. With a hammer, I put drywall up. And with the very same hammer, I tore drywall down. Yeah. I put walls up, I tore walls down. A hammer can be used for building, but everyone knows it's much more fun to be used for destruction. Depending on how you use it determines its morality. This in and of itself is amoral. It is neither right and it is not wrong. It depends on what I do with it. Your money is the same way. Your money is amoral. There are people who will teach falsely that God wants you to be rich. And if you're not rich and if you don't have this many resources or this big of a bank account, then you must be doing something wrong. That is, that is a lie. As false is wrong. But there are also people on the opposite end of the spectrum that say that if you're not poor and you live with some materialistic things, that you then are also living in sin, which is also a lie. Because both focuses are what's going on on the outside, but Jesus doesn't look what's going on the outside. He looks what's going on on the heart. Well, Pastor John, Jesus told the rich young ruler to go sell everything he had. Yes, why? Because he recognized that money had become the master of him. Going back to Matthew 6, you can't serve God and be enslaved to money. So he said, go sell everything you had. The man went away sad. Why? Because he cared more about his money than he did following Jesus. Yeah. It wasn't about his money. It was about his heart. Yeah. Jesus had a rich follower as well. 
Joseph of Arimathea, the Bible tells us, was a rich man, so rich that he had a tomb, so, so influential in the, in the society that he was able to go and ask for Jesus' body after the crucifixion, and they gave it to him so that he could be laid in this man's tomb. He was a man of means. He was a man of wealth. He was a man of prestige, but Jesus didn't tell him to go sell everything. Why? Because it's not about the money. It's about your heart. Your money is amoral. What are you doing with it? The same way that hammer can be used to build up or tear down, your money can be used to build up or tear down. Question I want you to ask yourself today is what are you building with the tool that God has given you? What are you building with the tool that God has given you, with the resources that he's entrusted to you? Are you building something for his kingdom? Are you investing in his kingdom? Are you being generous with those around you who have need? Or are you trying to build something for yourself? Are you, are you trying to, with that tool, make his name great? Or are you trying with that very same tool to make your name great? What are we seeking to do with the tools that God has given us? God, help us to have a healthy relationship with money. God, help us not to be enslaved to our money so that we can, we can fully serve you. God, help us to get rid of the love of money and the greed that is in our hearts. God, help us to use your tools for building your kingdom. Amen. Stand with me this morning. This morning, as we dismiss, I just want to pray for, for you guys. I want to pray for us as a church. And, but I want you to know, again, like this, this series... There is, there, is no, there is no other motivation for this. There's no ulterior motives. There's no, this isn't to try and strong arm you into to giving more or doing this or doing that. No, but the, the motivation behind this series is, again, to help you live the abundant life that Christ has paid for you to live. For you to find freedom in every area of your life, including your finances. As Americans, we have mismanaged and, and had unhealthy and toxic relationship with money. And not just as Americans, but as Christians, as followers of Jesus. Yet if we are seeking to, to serve God, we must have a healthy relationship with money. Maybe you're here today and you're like, yeah, a healthy relationship with money, that's great. But it all starts with having a healthy relationship with your heavenly father. Everything flows from the top down. And so today, if, if you haven't placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I wanna give you an opportunity to do so. With every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody's looking around. If, if you're here today, you say, Pastor John, that's me. I wanna, I wanna give my heart to the Lord. I wanna serve him above all else. I wanna follow his ways. I wanna access, even as, as we talked about earlier, the, the treasures of our heavenly father rather than the treasures that we can produce. If that's you and you want to, to pray that prayer and accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, do me a favor, just raise your hand right where you're at. I wanna pray for you today. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. You can put it down. Here's what we're gonna do, church. We're just gonna say this, this simple prayer. It's a prayer of, of confession. It's a prayer of recognition, confessing our sins and receiving Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Those of you that raised your hands, we'll just ask that you would pray this, pray it from your heart. Church, would you help us pray today? Just say, Jesus, thank you so much that you gave up your life so that I can find new life in you. And today I confess 
I am a sinner in need of a savior. Thank you that you died for me, that you took upon yourself the weight and punishment of my sin. Today, I receive you as my savior and I follow you as my Lord. Would you lead me from this day forward for the rest of my life into all of your ways in Jesus' name. Let me pray for you today. God, I thank you for those that raised their hand, those that that were bold enough, courageous enough to, to recognize, God, each and every one of us, sinners in need of a savior. You are the only one, the spotless lamb, the only one that ever lived a perfect life and yet you gave that life up so that we can find fullness and newness of life in you. We thank you for that, God. Today, as we go, I, I pray, Lord, that, that anything that you've revealed to us, again, that we would be that good soil, that as we go from here, the enemy would seek to, to snatch that seed out of our heart, to snatch that seed out of our mind, that what you've planted today, he would try and destroy before it can take root and produce fruit. God, I come against that in Jesus' name. Lord, anything, Holy Spirit, that you've revealed to us, I pray that you would seal it in our hearts, seal it in our minds, that we would go from this place, not only hearers of your word, but doers also. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Love you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you guys next Sunday. Bring someone with you. It's gonna be great. Dream City Omaha is here to help you discover Christ, recover your identity, and uncover your purpose. We encourage you to check out our past sermon series and our discipleship classes, and don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date.